So we're continuing with our series on 2 Peter uh, called Remember These Things. The next couple of weeks are going to be a topic that is a little controversial, a little challenging, and it might even be a little offensive. At least I hope it's offensive. Um, This week is the first in a series of a few messages in chapters 2 and 3 called False Teachers 101. What is the most unrecognized threat in the church today, and why is it false teaching? That was a joke, right? You ever seen that? What is the most unrecognized threat, and why is it false teaching and bad theology? You may not realize it, but without your church family and constant reminders, all of you, including myself, are very vulnerable to false teachers. Why are people so susceptible to false teaching and bad theology? What makes false teaching so attractive, so alluring that people are willing to leave the verified true gospel of Jesus for these other myths? I mean, if you think about it, false teaching really has something for everyone. It can be atheistic false teaching, that's attractive to some. Some deistic false teaching that doesn't deny God. And, and then there's philosophical false teachings. And then there's theological false teaching. There's something for everyone if you don't like the gospel. And these false teachings, they can be radical, they can be subtle, or they can be something in between. So what is the problem with false teaching? Why is it so bad? Why is it so important we spend the next few weeks, like like Peter did in chapters 2 and 3 of this book, why did he spend so much time talking about them? Because I will tell you, false teaching in and of itself is the fertilizer that causes overgrown depravity throughout human history. False teaching is a framework that allows humanity to somehow try to redefine morality and the moral code, or maybe just reject morality altogether, or take what we want morality to be and somehow justify elevating it above God's law, God's priorities, and God's commands. False teaching will always, think about this, false teaching will always look for a way to elevate human ascendancy over submission to God, whether it be through religious works or intellectual pursuits or creativity. And false teaching is anything, anything that denies even the smallest part of the gospel according to our Jesus. And when that happens, When somehow false teaching has become alluring enough, attractive enough to allow us to see some part or all of the gospel be manipulated, changed, or twisted, we are no longer following Jesus. We are following myths that we talked about last week, and we'll talk about it more later today. And that is the subject of chapter 2, and we will try to divide this chapter into somewhere between 3 or 20 messages. Just kidding. It's just like 2 or 3. Just kidding. Let's look at the passage today in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, 
and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The passage is short this week because we are going to be spending the next two or three weeks on this topic. So I wanted to start with this. Remember, this is just a cursory introduction to false teaching. The history of this passage is very interesting this week. It is, I've entitled it, Eminent Danger. First of all, you understand there is no one better than Peter to address this topic. Peter is near the end of his life, and he, near the end of his life, sees false teachers as quite a big threat to the church. He sees that they are active, and they were growing in their number and their impact. And you remember this verse? We studied this in our First Peter series, and we also studied it in our Gospel of Mark series, which was, you know, it's interesting how all these kind of run together. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, the best way that the enemy prowls around is in false teaching. And in our series on 1 Peter, we studied why it is that Peter could write this with such credibility and sincerity like no one else. No one alive could be more keenly aware of the craftiness of the enemy than Peter. Remember the story in the garden when he chopped off the soldier's ear as a show of loyalty to Jesus? And then maybe two or three hours later, he said, I don't even know who Jesus is. What are you talking about? Get away from me, woman. Remember that? Peter himself had been a victim of the enemy's cleverness. But now after that, after the resurrection, for decades, Peter has been successful in spotting and resisting the enemy. And if anyone could mentor and shepherd these first century believers, preparing them for their inevitable encounter with evil, it's Peter. And he says, listen, these false teachers, they have a coordinated plan. These aren't just scattershot, random teachers, decentralized. There is a strategy, there is a skill that makes them dangerous. You know, the apostles had a coordinated strategy. Matter of fact, Jesus taught them how when he sent them out in pairs. Remember, we talked about that in our Gospel of Mark series. He said, this is how you're going to do it. The false teachers have seen the effectiveness of the apostolic message and how they have collaborated together and they are copying it now for their own benefit. And these false teachers that are going around the church in the early first century, they were effective in convincing people to abandon their loyalty to apostolic teaching. And Peter describes people who, and he says, secretly bring in destructive heresies. Meaning, they are hard to spot on purpose. When a false teacher comes around with false teaching, he doesn't have a tag that says, I am a false teacher. Listen to me. Their motive, according to Peter, is to, he says, they want to take advantage of you. They want to, they want to hijack the church, this incredible movement that had been birthed out of the resurrection of Jesus and the apostles preaching, they want to hijack this movement to get something out of it for themselves, we, be it money, influence. And sadly enough, it seems that their teaching is attractive to some people as an alternative. But how could so many people be vulnerable to these guys? How could they be so good at this? 
There was something about what they were teaching that is appealing and was presented in a way that seemed pleasurable, palatable, even comforting. You know, some examples of false teaching today that would be pleasurable, palatable, and comforting. The example of this prosperity gospel out there. People like Joel Olstein and Kenneth Copeland and these other guys say, God wants you to be rich. There's another example, progressive theology. That's what they call themselves, progressive theologians, that say Jesus is not the way, he's just a way. See, false teaching always seeks to flatter and tempt the human heart somehow. And there is something for every taste. That's what false teaching does. It makes Jesus into something people want him to be rather than who he really is. And Peter accuses them and those who embrace them. He says, you are following their sensuality. In other words, you are using this as an excuse to live sinful lives. Now, there is a lot packed into that phrase, following sensuality. We will break down some of it for you later. But basically, these false teachers created a false narrative about Jesus that gave people the freedom to live however they wanted. Forget about the priesthood, proclamation, integrity, and industry. So that's the history of this passage. Look at the spiritual part of this, the theology. I want to talk about the origin of false teachers. You know, it's nothing new for God's children. Peter says false teachers have been there, been around since the beginning. This is the history of false teachers among God's people. And it is an ominous warning, convincing us that we should take this threat seriously. The threat of false teachers becomes a sinister threat for followers of Jesus when we uncover the actual origins. And the chilling reality is this, church. False teaching, even in its subtle versions, is a covert, sometimes overt, manifestation of actual evil. There's a lot of things that we're afraid of when it comes to evil, right? Seems like the one we're afraid of the least is false teaching, and it's the one we should be the most afraid of. John 8, 44 says, you are of your father the devil. He does not stand in the truth. There's truth. That's the opposite of false teaching. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What Peter does is he connects the catalyst of these and any other false teachers with the same catalyst as all who came before them. And he uses this word here, ekpali. It means of old, of long ago. It doesn't mean it happened a while ago. He says, these are the renowned false teachers of old. Well, of course, it's not the same ones, but he's talking about the ones, and we're going to explore this next week, but it's a brilliant word that sets up our sermon for next week throughout the Old Testament. There were examples of false teachers, how God viewed them, what they taught, and also how God dealt with them. We will dive into this in more detail next week as Peter makes some stunning, beautiful, brilliant hyperlinks to the Old Testament. You don't want to miss next week. If you love the Bible at all, you're going to love, it's going to blow you away. Boy, now I really set the standard high. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) 
It's going to be terrible next week. Just stay. Here's the point. These false teachers, Peter says, they've always been around, embedded strategically among God's people, spreading effective, attractive philosophies or doctrine. You know who the very first false teacher was? The father of lies, Satan himself, in the garden. Remember, he convinced Adam and Eve that they didn't really understand what God meant. Oh, you can eat the fruit. You won't die. God's just afraid you're going to be like him. And you know what Satan did? He deceived both Adam and Eve by twisting God's truth, making it more palatable. The fruit is good. Made it more pleasing for their human appetite. More pleasing than the promise of God giving them abundant life through submission to him. And Peter, just as Paul did, points out that these false teachers either wittingly or unwittingly do the enemy's bidding. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it, is, so it is of no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. This is where it becomes really problematic. Because false teachers aren't going to dress up in what we envision demons have, these long horns and the long tail, you know, and the red, you know, and the mean-looking face. That's not what false teachers are going to come looking like. And their impact is frightening. In week two, if you remember, we studied a list of consequences of real faith. Do you remember that? How to know for sure if you're a child of God. And we can have that list that shows that you have accepted solid teaching. What did we see? We saw that real faith creates virtue. Virtue creates knowledge. Knowledge creates Self-control. Self-control created stability. Stability creates this reverence for God, and this reverence creates brotherly love and affection for others who have reverence for your God. And it also creates a love for others that aren't part of our church. We can reach out to them with love and service and humble humility. Well, false teaching also has a list of consequences as well. And they're listed for us by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2-5. Here's what he says about people who respond and embrace false teaching, including the false teachers themselves. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, dishonoring to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. I wish Paul would be a little more detailed. <laughs> Even from people with the appearance of godliness, the impact of false teaching can be perilous. You know what's even scarier about this list and the impact false teaching can have? Look at me. It doesn't take much. Just a small omission here or a quick addition there to the gospel can result in these catastrophic, earthly, and eternal spiritual consequences. 
So that's the spiritual section. Let's look at the personal section for this week. I've entitled this, Don't Be Vulnerable. This was my sermon preview this week. Fraudulent doctrine is the enemy's most clandestine weapon against God's people. It's also the most pervasive and perilous. Clandestine, for those of you in Northport, clandestine means hidden. I can't pick on Bradenton anymore. My wife told me, so it's on the Northport, then Venice, then Fort Myers. Those are the area. Palmetto's good. Leave Palmetto alone. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I mean, think about it. If you wanted to deceive people about spiritual truth, would you make it a message of hate? Or would you make it a message that seems loving? You know, the enemy has crafted many versions. So there is something everyone would find appealing. And just in case you think you aren't vulnerable to false teaching, think again. The enemy is smarter than you. In fact, he is so good at deceptions, many false teachers don't even know they are serving his agenda. And it comes in all different shapes and sizes and colors. And they are all much more subtle than just the ones that deny Jesus. We can pick those out, right? But what about the ones that don't deny Jesus? Those are the ones we should be frightful of. You know, people especially in the church, people wonder why their lives are full of the opposite things of the fruits of faith. Christians who are addicted to sensuality, lives that represent instability, lives eaten up with anger, bitterness, addiction, lack of discipline, a lack of brotherly love and affection or reverence for God. None of these things are present. And as Christians, why? Well, I'll tell you why, because somewhere along the way, some version of a false version of what Jesus presented to you, you bought into. It's the gospel, sort of. It was a gospel that says, yeah, you can be a Christian and escape hell and just work on these things. You don't have to worry about sin or, or whatever it could be. It could be something very small, but somewhere along the way, the real truth is not what you have embraced. These are false teachers doing the bidding of an enemy. That was Peter's greatest fear for the church. You know, he feared false teachers more than Nero killing Christians. I mean, Nero killing Christians was bad, but in Peter's mind, false teachers were the real threat. What are some of the greatest fears Jesus' followers face today? Some of Christians fear differing political ideologies. Boy, if this group gets in power, if this group gets in power, we are really in trouble. Some Christians fear climate change. Some Christians fear people who fear climate change. Some people have been deathly afraid of the pandemic, understandably so. Some people are afraid of the vaccine. Some people are afraid of the virus itself. Some people fear government overreach too far because of the pandemic. Some people fear a systemic economic collapse. 
Look, I'm not belittling any of those of you who have those concerns. Not at all. Those are legitimate fears. But if you are a follower of Jesus, those earthly fears should take a backseat to this threat that Peter is talking about. Paul says this in 2 Timothy, people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into, and there's that word again, myths. So in my introduction, I mentioned the danger of following myths, if you remember, rather than following the teachings of Jesus. Why is it hard for the human heart to, as Paul says, endure sound teaching? Well, Joe, if you weren't so boring, we could endure it. I get it. But why are we so susceptible to following myths? Human nature naturally desires spiritual truth to be what we want it to be rather than what it really is. We don't want to hear about human depravity, about how you can be easily led away like a dumb sheep. You don't want to hear a version of truth that lines up the opposite of your priorities. You want to hear truth that lines up with what you want politically, socially, maybe even economically. You want the gospel to line up with your agenda, your desires, and your goals. That's why you are susceptible to false teaching. Some don't want to hear that there may be eternal consequences. None of that fits the human agenda. Sadly, many who follow Jesus today are following him lazy when it comes to intellectual things, philosophical things. They rarely take time to study Scripture, either alone or in community. Both, by the way, are important. You cannot just study the Bible on your own and get what you need. You need to study it on your own and with your church family, both. Let me just make sure I'm clear on that. Alone and in community. And because many believers are lazy in all these things, they become so unequipped to resist these other alluring myths that are out there. And you know, false teaching isn't always the opposite of truth. That'd be easy if that was it. Sometimes it's a small diversion in the wrong direction. But there is one common theme, one thing you should always remember when trying to spot these covert false teachers. If in any way there is even the smallest denial of our fully confirmed gospel of Jesus or the word of God, that is a sign. Or if someone tries to add a new revelation to the scripture that already isn't there, that's a sign. You know, Jesus and Peter, Peter make it very clear there is zero room. And I want to be careful when I say this because this can have a loaded word. There is zero room for tolerance, for compromise of spiritual truth. More on that in a moment. Many fall for clever lies and deceptions, rationalizing in many ways, wandering from the gospel of Jesus. You know, one example is this virtue of tolerance. 
tolerance. There is a new, a better word, is a neo-moralism that worships tolerance. And it is a very effective, subtle use of light. Because tolerance, after all, in many ways, is a good thing. But sometimes the enemy uses tolerance to suck people into myths. Look, Jesus commands us to be tolerant and to love others. To serve them in humility, not in arrogance or judgment. And to serve them with surprising generosity. To love and care for them as though they were our neighbors, because they are. But even with that type of tolerance, there's a tolerance we cannot allow. We must never compromise the teachings of Jesus in any way when we proclaim. Others may. We will not. He is the way. This is what Jesus said. I'm not saying this. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So over the last five plus years here at Grace Life, you have heard me sometimes in cringeworthy ways call out some false teachers by name. I've also done it by association as well in a more subtle way. Some of the people I've called out are national. Some of them are local. And why do I do that? Why would I bother to do that when it could be offensive? Look, this may surprise you. I don't like to be offensive. I know I am, but I don't like to be. Because false teaching of any type is dangerous. When the rotting finger of false teaching touches people's hearts, it won't bring the abundant life it promises. It will bring lies and destruction. Church, there's a ton for us to watch out for. And that's why it's critical to stay connected to God's word and his people constantly. And over the next two weeks, we're going to do the very best we can in a loving way to expose the clandestine, hidden threat of false teaching, specifically the ones that Peter was dealing with when he wrote 2 Peter. <clears throat> Father, we do not want to be those who are arrogant about truth that you have given us, but at the same time, we don't want to compromise it. Lord, this is, a, this is a tough balance act here. We want to be loving and accepting and tolerant and compassionate in just about every way we possibly can except for this one because we know that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It is the power of God to salvation. It is what you have used to transform our lives, to give us those qualities that we so desire, the ones we learned about a couple of weeks ago. And Lord, we know that there are many things out there swirling around, twisting truth. Lord, we don't want to be those who come across as arrogant and judgmental 
but we do want to be steadfast and disciplined. And over the next couple of weeks, as we study what some of those dangerous things are, Lord, keep us broken and humble and compassionate and generous. Please make us as tolerant as possible without being tolerant of truth. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week. Keep your eyes open. We'll see you next Sunday.